it is always time for the Out of Sight podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. Despite the weather, I'm here. Rain, sleet, snow, haze, humidity. I'm, I'm all here for it. I'm like the U.S. Postal Service. But anyway, um, this week, preseason kicked off. Sixers got kind of shellacked by Toronto last night. But that's fine. Preseason game. Wanted to see where some of the guys were. Andre Drummond had a strong start, which is something that we hope to not hear too frequently this year. Uh, but things look good. Isaiah Joe had a nice look at night. Tyrese Maxey looked good. Every, everything's fine. It's all fine. Everything's fine. Um, I got Jackson Frank on the podcast today. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about some long distance shooting. And uh, yeah, we'll just get into it. First of all, Jackson, uh, any takeaways from the preseason game last night that you feel deserve special note? Uh, I think the first thing that, you know, that I really thought about that was most relevant to the regular season, because of course, you know, the Sixers, three best players, including Ben Simmons, weren't playing. So you don't want to lean too much. But I think there's a, definitely a chance that Isaiah Joe is, is more deserving of a rotation spot than Shake Milton. Um, I know Isaiah Joe played mo- largely, you know, when – when the game was out of reach and shake Milton was a, was a key rotation player. But um, I just, I thought shake really struggled trying to create for himself and Isaiah Joe looked really good as an off ball shooter and defender. So I don't know if Isaiah is going to get that chance this year. Doc has talked up shake a lot, both last year and in preseason or in training camp this year. But um, that was my biggest takeaway in terms of what I thought could apply to the regular season. But um, yeah, Drummond looked good too as, as well. Yeah, obviously you, you, when you say you're like, when you talk about you don't want him to get off to a strong start, I believe your your impression there are implications that you don't want him starting many games because that would mean <laughs> Joel Embiid is, is out for one, one reason there. But I think it's gonna be helpful. He'll he'll have his gaffes. He'll, he was a little sloppy with the ball at times as a passer, but um, I think you can definitely see what he can offer, especially offensively more than more than Dwight. I think he's a better you know better passer, better dribble handoff guy. So those are my two big takeaways. But um, definitely want to take everything with a grain of salt, given who was and was not playing for both of those teams yesterday. I did like the Drummond signing. I, a lot of people probably liked it more just because of the comedy slash irony effect. But going from Dwight to Andre Drummond this season at the backup five, like that's a pretty, I mean, it's not a huge improvement, but it's at least marginal. Yeah. I think, I think in terms of actual like quality of player, it's a substantial improvement. But the point being is that Joel Embiid is your best player. So in the playoffs, he can be playing. 35 to four minutes a night. So like, even if Andre is a much better player than Dwight in a vacuum, how much more can you really provide in those eight to 12 minutes? You know, it's, it's tough, but I think he's definitely a better player. Um, you know, he's got his faults, like I said, um, but I, but I think he's definitely gonna be more useful, especially if, uh, if you see maybe some Seth and Tobias led bench lineups, I think kind of the way that Andre can be a dribble handoff partner and not a great finisher, but he does roll hard. He's pretty light off the ground. So um, as a lob threat, even though he's not a great lob threat, um, I think he's definitely going to help. But, but yeah, it's tough to it's tough to say. Oh, the impact's going to be huge because he's he, he's backing up the team's best player, who when it matters most is going to be playing, you know, eighty five, sometimes ninety percent of the minutes, you know, depending on the severity of the game. Yeah, I'm not asking Drummond to be some kind of like all star or anything like that. But what I am asking is, can I not have a sense of dread if Drummond <laughs> is in the lineup? to give Joel a break against like the Cavaliers or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think Drummond can provide that. I mean, I, I'm not, I, I haven't gone through and, and fleshed up the entirety of my, my NBA rank or NBA center rankings, but I, mean, <laughs> I think he's right around kind of that bottom tier of starters. And so if that's who your backup is like, you should feel pretty com- comfortable if you're playing a team that's a, lot, a lottery bound, um, which is not what they've had. I mean, you saw times last year, like, you know, when Tony Bradley was still around, they would start Tony over over Dwight. Some of that was because of continuity, but um, Dwight just wasn't a guy you wanted to play more than, you know, 14 to 18 minutes a night, just given, you know, if, if we're talking about Drummond as a mistake-prone player who can still provide a value, Dwight is that amplified, right? Oh, He's, God, yeah. He some nice things, but illegal screens, the goaltending, you know, chasing a block when he could have just stayed down, um, being trying to be even more overzealous than, than Drummond can be with the ball in his hands. Uh, so not to say that, I mean, Dwight, Dwight was fine last year. I think for the most part before the playoff as a backup center, but Drummond, I think you should feel a lot more confident, you know, in terms of him, him filling, you know, what not replacing what Joel brings, but, um, if Joel needs a night off, maybe they played three games in four days and, um, they're playing, they're playing the cab, like you said, in the end of a road trip, you can feel comfortable that maybe they should still be able to win, um, you know, with, with Drummond in the lineup in place of Joel, which is not what they've really, I mean, they were good last year at that, but historically Sixers have not been a team who have been able to 
play well either when Joe's out of the game, which is normal for a, your best player, but also when Joe sits out games, which is kind of which is part of the NBA experience. Not a knock on him, but he isn't. You know, there's a little more maintenance required with him to be at his best when it, when it counts. We wait with bated breath here on Liberty Ballers for your <laughs> complete NBA rankings of backup centers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, going to be waiting a while. I think I, I think I'll postpone that till at least next offseason. If I would damn even, it, or even entertain it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we'll postpone it. I did see your tweet last night about Isaiah Joe, and I definitely agree with you. Um, I like Shake, but I mean, I, I feel like Isaiah Joe can do so much more. Like he's like, for example, not to knock Shake's size or anything, but just defensively, like just that being a bigger body out there, you know, and especially if he's hot from three two. Just let just let him cook. Like, come on. Why why are we even talking about this? Yeah. I so I mean, I I want Shake. I think Shake could like be more useful in terms of like his role in the in the, in the rotation, but I, it just seems that the coaching staff view he and Isaiah Joe's roles differently. You know, Isaiah Joe gets to play off the ball a lot when he plays with rotation guys. When he's when he's with the bench in the summer league, you saw him handling the ball more. But when he's with the starters, you see him off the ball more, which he's great at. Whereas Shake, they wanted to create a lot rather than be that spot up guy. And I mean, it's one preseason game, but you know, Shake just kind of looked like the the Shake toward the end of the season last year, where he was really forcing the issue a lot. Didn't have a lot of you know creativity trying to get in the lane. You know, lower in that left or right shoulder you know, into the defender and not really going anywhere. Uh, and then yeah, I mean, they're both. I mean, I think Shake has a little bit of size on on Isaiah Joe, but physicality wise, Isaiah is so much better handling that defensively. So um, we'll see if it ever comes to fruition, but um, it's something that I would be supportive of, especially if Shake, could, I'm not going to, you know, talk, I'm not going to like support it right now after one preseason game, but I think if Shake could talk to a slow start, um, I think it might be worthwhile to uh, try that. Not only because I think Isaiah could play better in that awful world, but two, because maybe it would encourage Doc to not run the offense through, your seventh or eighth best player for eight minutes tonight. Maybe try and let Tobias or Seth Curry or even Tyrese Maxey. But I think that's part of the issue too, is like they want Shake to be this awesome bench guard, kind of like what they've had with Lou Williams in the past. Um, and he's just not that caliber of player. Uh, so it, it's tough, but it just seems they view him differently. I think it could be a ripple effect where Isaiah Joe gets to play off the ball and you're running the, running things through Tobias or Seth rather than Shake. It could be kind of a, a two-fold impact there. But um, we'll see what happens. We'll see maybe, I mean, Isaiah, a lot of his offense is tied to the jumper. And, you know, he was good last night from three. Maybe there's going to be nights where he's two. Maybe, it's, maybe on Thursday, he's two of nine from three. And uh, and we're, we're a little less optimistic about things. But uh, definitely see outcomes where it's, it's more more reasonable to play Joe in the rotation than, than Shake. Okay, let's get into your piece. And you discussed the long-distance shooting, which has been kind of a – it's almost as sore of a topic as just Ben Simmons, like shooting period. Um, and I'll start here last year. Wasn't this supposed to be fixed because the roster construction was much more conducive to, you know, a roster that made sense. There's big men and there's shooters and there's ball handlers. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, you know, when Daryl Morris first retired in his first month or so as, as uh, president of basketball operations, he traded for Seth Curry and he traded for Danny Green. Uh, and the guys he swapped out were, you know, Al Horford and Josh Richardson, who just didn't provide that same level of volume shooting. Um, and I will say part of the issue with the Sixers that I tried to acknowledge as much as possible, I probably should have included Ben in that because at least last year, like the guys who took up, took the most shots last from the team were Ben, Joel and Tobias. And while you'd love for Tobias to take more threes, and I think he should, and he's talked about that, Ben and Joel are just not going to be those guys, right? So when you build an offense around them, it's tough to be a team that's probably going to be ranking in the top five or six at three-point rate. But um, you look at everyone around those guys, it's hard to justify being 25th in three-point rate like they were last year. Uh, and it's not like they were just living at the rim and their offense was incredible. I mean, they were a middle-of-the-road offense the regular season. And uh, in the second round against the Hawks, they were a dreadful offense. So yeah. Um, like, I think ideally it would have been rectified. I just want to make note that, like, anyone – like, not that you're saying this, but anyone who's like, oh, they should, you know, they have Danny Green, they have Seth Curry, they have Furkan Korkmaz, they should be, you know, top five or six. It's not that easy because they're two best players right now, you know, and then even three, if you include Ben, like, aren't guys who take a lot of threes. You'd love for Tobias to, but you also need Tobias to take some of the shots he's comfortable with as a creator because they rely on him so much there. So um, just trying to find a balance there, but absolutely it should be higher than 20, but especially because – Doc said they emphasize threes. It's like maybe you say that, but that's not playing out, you know, in your offense. So, um, 
they should, I mean, their numbers were good last year. I think I'm trying to look where they were percentage-wise. Had a lot of guys who were at the very least good good shooters in the rotation, but um, getting more threes up, I think definitely would have. Yeah, they were 10th in three-point percentage last year and 25th in rate. I mean, you got to be, you got to have a better balance there if you have so many good shooters on the team. And that, that's what I was really hopeful for because, you know, Seth Curry had that really hot start. Shea kind of had a hot start. Tobias kind of had a hot start shooting. So I just said, okay, we got, we got spacing. How about that? This team looks so much better with spacing and the whole thing just trailed off by like the all-star break. And I was just like, really? We got to, we got to go through this again. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, in, in Shake's defense, he just had a down year. Like he was, he was almost the opposite where like the start of the year was awesome. It was like kind of a two point score from mid range. And then as the year went on, he got better from three, but, but yeah, it's just, and that's the thing is, you know, jo- I mean, Joel Embiid unprompted twice when he spoke with media to start the, you know, his 2021, 22 season has talked about how he wants he and the team to take more threes. And, you know, uh, someone asked Doc about kind of both Tobias and Joel's, you know, emphasis on taking more threes because Tobias at media day discussed how two of his areas of emphasis or biggest areas of emphasis this past season or off season, excuse me, uh, were becoming a better pull up three point shooter, more comfortable and also more comfortable taking contested threes, which, are really key areas for Tobias. I mean, the amount of times Tobias leaves a contested three short, uh, it happens a lot. I don't know exactly what's behind it, but clearly it's, he recognized that's the goal. So someone asked talk about that at practice. He he kind of talked about, well, we already do emphasize threes and like, but also you need layups and, and stuff, and uh, which is not which is not incorrect. But the and he's talking about driving and all these things that you know Ben did last year. But it's like I was looking at the numbers I listed in my article. Um, if anyone wants, you know, the the actual article name, I believe it's on Liberty Ball from a few days ago called "We Just Need to Shoot More of Them." Joel Bede wants the Sixers to take more threes. Will it happen? Yeah. Uh, and the retort was, you know, well, we want to drive, we want to get layups, which is true. But but Doc, dude, you were like you were in the bottom half of drives per game last year. You were in the bottom half of shots at the rim last year. Like you weren't eschewing threes in favor of shots at the rim. You your team was taking a bunch of mid range jumpers instead. And that's why you had a middling offense in the regular season. And that was ultimately your downfall in the postseason. You can talk about, you can talk about Trey Young. You can talk about Bogdan Bogdanovich, all these different things. But the Sixers defense was excellent against the Hawks still. It was their offense that could not get the job done. And like, I get what Doc's saying, but you, you can say all these different things, but it's not reflected in the type of shot profile you're crafting with your team, uh, which has a lot of good shooters, you know, right? It's not like, they don't have a bunch of Ben Simmons and Zions and Giannis's, right? Like they have guys who can take threes yeah. and they have Joel Embiid who can create a lot of threes, Tobias who can get up threes and, you know, help create them. And they just didn't do that. So um, I tried to be measured in my, in my criticism of doc, but uh, it felt a little, I don't know. It felt like he was trying to kind of pull one over on, on media by saying that because there's, we have the numbers, like it doesn't reflect kind of, you know, what, what the outcome was last year. So. Um, they got to get more of them. And they, if they want to take three, sure. If they want to take shots to the rim, sure. But um, the Sixers, you know, beyond the jumper, they don't have a guy who can get downhill consistently, maybe beyond Tyrese Maxey. And he's a second-year 20-year-old. So um, I think it's a little more, little easier to ask them to take more threes and just, you know, live at the rim because it's just not – they don't really have those guys this year. The egregious passing on a dunk aside, yeah, the the Sixers defense was outstanding against the Hawks, but like you said, the offense just it just grinded to a halt. <laughs> and I feel like, and I was watching this a lot last season, and certain things like it wasn't as bad as like you know Josh Richardson not taking a three pointer on the at the at the TD Garden with literally no one near him. It wasn't anywhere near that bad, but I'm like. Just you don't have to be wide open to take threes in the NBA anymore. Like that's not a thing. When you see guys like Steph Curry and Trey Young and James Harden jacking them up with like three guys in their faces, just just throw it. I'm not saying just, and I'm not, and I'm also not saying to just throw that s up and just hope that it sticks. But at the same time, you have to change your mindset about what open means. And I feel like a lot of the Sixers players are just not in that mindset. Yeah. I, I think you could even, you maybe even reorient it to, to like open doesn't necessarily mean a better source of offense, right? Like you talk about Josh Richardson, that's a guy who would never take anything where it felt like a defense was going to close out. I mean, he would take the one or two dribble pull up and it's yeah. like, take the three because you dribble two feet inside the arc, three feet inside the arc. That's, I mean, you have to make that shot at 
one and a half times the rate you do from three. And, and comfort does matter. Like that's something we have to acknowledge. Here. I think it's an important thing, especially with Tobias, who has such a big creation workload. But a guy like Josh Richardson, who also at times was overextended one year in Philly, like take this three because you have to, you don't have to make it as often as you do that long two that maybe you prefer. And even Tobias, again, like I'm trying to be mostly understanding him, but like that's a guy, another guy who loves the, you know, the pump fake and, and driver, the rip and driver rather than taking the three where maybe the defender is going to semi- you know, get in his airspace right before he shoots. Like, take that shot. Like, Tobias, you shot almost 40% from three last year. And I know you're good from mid-range, but, like, maybe take a few more threes. So right. uh, that's the whole thing. It's like, open doesn't always mean better. I know there's a certain – I do want to acknowledge the comfort thing. I don't, want to, I don't want to be this guy who comes on the podcast and, you know, was the only threes and layups, like, you know, really heartbeat. Like, because those are good shots, but there is kind of a human element to it as well, rhythm and all that stuff that matters. But the Sixers definitely need to get better about realizing that sometimes you just better let it fly. Like, it's – you know, if your feet are set and all that, like, like just work, I mean, work on the offseason. We're taking more contested threes like Tobias did or, or watch a bunch of film of Isaiah Jones for court maps because those guys are <laughs> never unwilling to shoot the three with a hand in their face. Funny you bring up the word rhythm because I was actually going to bring that up as my next point. When you have guys like Joel Embiid who are really good passes out of the post and Ben who, I mean, we we're pretty sure he's not playing for the Sixers this year, but when he was there giving these passes off and just putting it right square in the pocket, like you're screwing up your own personal rhythm. If you're like doing the pump fake and like taking the two steps and then regathering your feet and all like that. But also there's, there's the momentum element. Like if you're at home and you hit a three pointer and the crowd is going crazy, like the rest of the team will feed off of that. Yeah, and I, I didn't include this, you know, I there's a big long quote from Joel that I have near the start of my article, and I didn't include this, but he talked about that when I think someone asked him, you know, I think last Thursday about kind of why he feels the need to shoot more threes just as a team and individually. And he talked about kind of how he, he notices like a big three can be really deflating for a defense, but it can also be you know really uplifting for the offense. And how yes. many felt that happened last year with the Hawks a lot. I mean, you could we can talk all about the Ben Simmons pass to Bung and that stuff matters too, but Maybe even in, in, equally, you know, get part of that game seven was when Matisse followed Kevin Herter. And I know that wasn't he had make the three, but they got three points out of it, if I recall. So that's not to say, you know, Matisse is the reason they lost or anything. But um, point being is like Embiid understands that. He, he, was, he was talking about how like, you know, I think in the, the, so he definitely, you and he are on the same page there. And I think, you know, a lot of times the Sixers lost last year or they needed a bucket late in a game. It felt like such a grind to get, you know, back into the game, like, yeah. you, know, like, you know, it's the, it's the old adage of like running uphill, but that felt like the case, like, okay, yeah, they're down eight, you know, uh, Joel comes down, you hit the mid-range jumper, gets fouled, they're down six, the other team goes down, hits a, hits a pull three, it's nine again, and you do that three more times, and all of a sudden it's a double digits, even though you've scored every possession, and then, or, you know, or, or like when they're down three at the end of the game, it just felt really tough to be confident they were going to get a great look, or they were going to drop a play that worked well, so that's the other thing is, you know, I saw some of the comments, and you know, in reply to my piece. And they're talking about how, like, you know, Doc's like, we want to emphasize threes, but what about, like, scheming more plays? Like, let's see more of that. Like, again, they're always talking about Joel, you know, spacing all these different things. And, you know, Joel has some faults as, you know, a post passer still, but he got pretty dang good last year at creating open threes out of the post. Uh, and they, they need to bet, they need to capitalize on it more. So run, maybe run some more off-ball screens, you know, a little more movement around Joel. And I know, like, it's tough because they're always talking about they want Joel to know, kind of know where his guys are, know his spots and things like that. I think Joel is better about reading the floor when everyone is static, but I think there's a balance to be had there. And I, I just think like, you know, there's the, there's a momentum part of it. You know, you can, you can say whatever you want about kind of the merits or the invalidity of momentum, but some people definitely believe in it. I think, you know, players definitely is something that it, it affects them to an extent. Um, but there's also just the idea of like, you know, more th- like you just have a great, like there's more variance with three threes, but like it's also easier to get back in games or, you know, if you need a three to tie, uh, to to make that happen because the Sixers have interior scores. They have Tobias and Joel. And even though maybe they're a little bit flawed at times as individual creators, you can feel comfortable. Like if you need a two-point bucket, um, you should be okay with those two at the home. If you need a three, I don't really know, you know, what they run for that. You know, I know they have good shooters, but I just haven't really felt comfortable at least last year. We were mean really even for most of the time I've covered the Sixers that they're going to get a good look from three when they need it late in the game. Just makes me miss JJ Redick that much more, <laughs> Jackson. I'm just pointing that out. Um Maybe a lesser piece of concern 
is the rules change going in. I don't know if this is going to affect too much of the shooting because we don't have too many guys that'll do like the pump fake and then jump into the defender. But Furkan's going to have to adjust. Furkan is going to have to adjust. Underrated to shot fake guys. We'll we'll see what happens to them. But that's but anyhow. Continue. I just want to give Furkan his props for. Uh, for milking there... that, that rule for all it has. Oh, God. Because <laughs> I saw a highlight last night where Steph Curry ball mm-hmm. faked, took two dribbles, and then did the pump fake and then tried to jump into to the defender. Refs are just not calling that. They're just like, no. Yeah. Looked, like, no, keep playing. Look keep playing. We're not calling that anymore. <laughs> uh, I feel yeah. like guys like Trey Young, they're going to suffer heavily from that. Um, but when it comes to the Sixers, they don't have a whole lot of guys outside of Furcon that really do the like pump fake thing. Mm-hmm. May- I would say maybe Joel, but like Joel doesn't even jump into defenders like that. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, he's he's more like from three at least. He's more pump fake and get them off their feet so he can you know attack the rim for a big dunk or now maybe a little bit of a pull up jumper that he's got. He's that four that second pump fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's still. I, I mean, I still remember. Uh, the it was, a, it was game three against the Raptors back in 2019 when when Gasol fell for it and Joel the big windmill dunk and the, the, the crowd was going crazy and it's, it's oh funny my that god it, and that, I mean I don't think Joel shot well from three that year and I mean he's he was good last year but he's still like I think sub 30 percent for his career and and players still it's it's hilarious that people still fall for him he's the best post player in the NBA and people are are leaving their feet for a three <laughs> at the top of the key like just just give it to him um, but but yeah I don't I mean. I think if it's, I think it's going to affect you all. It could be maybe those mid-range shots. I think you know he's a very crafty post player. I think for the most part, like he, he will still be able to draw a high number of fouls. But I do wonder. I think there's probably maybe maybe once or twice a game, maybe you know three times every four games, four, five games, where he gets that shot fake. But yeah, I think I think you know Furcon's the only guy really has to deal with, and I don't think it's a huge adjustment because Furcon is has shown a willingness to let it fly. I don't think you know, he's a guy who's gun shy and trying to figure out the right times to, to shoot. He's you do it letting it fly and the, the pump fake is more just like, can I get three easy foul shots? And uh, in Furcon fashion, like I, I feel like I count the number of times he's completed that three point play with three foul shots on one hand. I feel like he's always going one for three, two for three and, and all that. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think it should be a huge, huge deal for them, honestly. Going back to something you were talking about comfort level. And yes, we understand Tobias that you're a mid range guy, Joel. We love that you're a mid range guy, or you can do all kinds of post spins, double spins, half spins into teleportation, whatever. (laughs) But where's the balance between comfort level and scheme, right? Where does doc and that like coaching staff, the offensive coordinator, quote unquote, we'll call it, to be like, okay, we're going to run some more off ball screens. We're going to run some off ball stuff with Tobias and get him like an open look from three. Like, where's the balance there between keeping guys happy with their comfort level, but saying, hey, step out three more feet and take that jump shot? You get one more point for that. Yeah. That one. Yeah. And that's what's tough i think because part of why i think tobias has been such an effective player under doc is and he's talked about this i think even docs you know talked about as well is that like he really likes the positions doc puts him in and doc understands those positions but i also think you know part of effective coaching is like making players get comfortable with what they're previously uncomfortable with and yes. so i mean and like tobias like for, like again he, that's he is very very encouraging that he he talked about wanting to get better at those shots because last offseason he talked about wanting to be more physical and wanted to play better in the mid post. And he was awesome in those regards last year. So, and Tobias is a guy who has gotten so much better year after year for the most part, but like, you know, you don't want to like, you don't want to like read into it too much, but he's saying the right things. And so you should at least have a little more hope than with the average player who says these things because Tobias largely has been a man of action behind his words. So I don't know what the exact balance is there, but, I do think there has it has to skew closer to three because Tobias is a good three point shooter. He shot again. He shot thirty nine point four percent last year from a three, but only took a two hundred eight attempts. He shot nine hundred twenty four times regular season, so more than seven hundred of his attempts uh, were not threes. And you're shooting well above league average. Um, I think you got to be a little more uh, willing to let it fly there, like you know the. And I and I don't I don't know if this was the case. I don't want to say that he was like bypassing these shots to preserve his slash line, but he was close to 54 90 last year. Yeah. Like I, I'm not, I'm not even criticizing him for that. I could, I, it's an awesome feat. I understand it, but I do wonder if maybe like he gets off to a little slower start this year. He's not as concerned about that. And maybe let's fly a little more because I think uh, his three, his three point rate, 
Yeah, so before the All-Star break, he shot 127 threes in 31 games. Post-All-Star break, only 81 threes in 31 games. So um, just over four per game and then down to 2.6. So I don't know if it was health-related, but clearly something was happening there. And I think, and again, I'm not criticizing for this, but he got off to a really hot start, was above 50-49 most of the year. I, I feel okay maybe he was bypassing some of those threes to preserve his – try to preserve his marks and not criticizing him, but I think that could be part of it. So maybe – Maybe a little slower start for Tobias could be okay because he'll be willing to take more threes as the season progresses. To, Tobias, you secured the bag, man. You got your 180 <laughs> million over four years. Just let it rock, my man. God, <laughs> what do you care? Listen, I get it about statistics and you're playing for like that next deal, but like enjoy the money that you just made. Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, I think Tobias is absolutely a guy who's always tried to do you know, what's best for me. And again, I'm, and you're not criticizing, I'm not criticizing, but I think that definitely, I at least can see where maybe that played a factor, but um, yeah, the te- I mean, the team's offense, you know, like we can talk all about the different ways this team will be worse without Ben Simmons and nobody in place during the regular season. But, you know, and for all those things that Ben doesn't do great offensively, he makes his team better offensively because of his ability to produce threes and his ability to get transition, like transition is a more efficient, you know, way to produce offense. Uh, and they're going to need they're going to need somehow to, to mitigate that or kind of compensate for Ben's absence. And I think Tobias having a little more efficient shot profile could help there. Um, you know, everyone's going to have to kind of pull a little more weight um, without Ben you know, or until a Ben trade happens um, be, you know, on both ends. I mean, because you know, again, as as many ways you can criticize Ben offensively, um, they are they're a better team with Ben in the starting lineup offensively than they are with Tyrese Max right now. Um, and so I think, you know, it's going to require, you know, Joel, you know, Seth, Tobias, all, Tyrese, Shake, all these different guys to kind of step a little up, up, step it up a little bit. Maybe you can say it's not necessarily fair to them, but it's just the reality of the situation. And so, uh, yeah, Tobias, just, just let it rip, dude. You're a good shooter. Um, <laughs> and I, and I think he, he recognizes that. I think, again, he's saying the right thing. So, um, hopefully we get this, you know, I assume he's okay with, you know, the, I think it was left knee soreness to right knee soreness that kept him out against Toronto. Um, hopefully he's okay for Thursday. We get to see, you know, uh, year, I mean, year 11 of Tobias. My goodness. Um, you know, time, year 11 Tobias you, know and- you know, time runs all kinds of weird in this, in this <laughs> post pandemic era. So it could yeah. be, um, it but- could have been 15 years. We don't know. <laughs> um, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully we get to see him soon and uh, kind of maybe see if he's made some adjustments because I think last year, early in the year, he was more comfortable, you know, shooting some threes, but it kind of tapered off for one reason or another as the season progressed. But uh, yeah, but we'll see again. He's saying the right things, but. Um, you kind of want to see some some action you know, behind those words, which again, Tobias has proven you no know, reason to believe in that sort of thing manifesting. But um, you know, don't want to put it all on Tobias's shoulder. You talk about we talk about Shake; he needs to be a more willing shooter from three. If he can get, you can kind of split the difference between who he was in year two from deep at forty three percent and year three at thirty five percent. That would help. Tyrese takes a leap. I mean, I know like that's a big thing for him. Uh, you know, Seth is going to be great again. Danny, you know, it's been a little bit of a you know an up and down shooter the last few years, but you can always rely on Danny to let it fly. Sometimes then- to a fault. And then uh, Mr. Niang, but, but put think, him up, put him up. Yeah, yeah, I think put I think him up, my man. Too, I, that'll that'll help a lot too, honestly, because you know you look at some of the lineups that were in last year off the bench, and you know Doc loves his bench lineups. Uh, it was a lot of guys who didn't love to take threes beyond Furkan. It was you know it was Matisse, it was Dwight, it was Shake, um, you know George Hill for when he was there last year. You know whether it was coming off the injury and trying to assimilate to a very good team was a little more hesitant. Like so, I mean George is a great shooter. A lot of people have raved about him during training camp. Um, the track record's there. He's a little bit of versatility. So, um, like I, I would, I, I, I think they could, you know, rank higher this year in three point rate. But I don't want to say too much because, you know, as much as many ways as Ben inhibits you as an outside shooting team, um, I know people over overemphasize the idea that he produces a lot of threes, <laughs> and I'm, I'm tired of hearing about it. But it is true. Like he. Since he entered the league, he's second behind Russell Westbrook and producing threes for others in terms of assists. So it's going to take other guys to kind of step up. And I think they have, they're saying some of the right things and, you know, adding George's and you know, things like that should help. Um, or George, he's my, no, I, it's all, I know there's Nestle name, but it's just George. My apologies there. Um, <laughs> but I think there are reasons to be more encouraged, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's, it's preseason. So a lot of things, you can say all the right. I mean, right. It's, it's, uh, it's optimistic season, you know, before the, before the games get going, that count for real. So to summarize part one of this podcast, uh, just let it rip, fellas. Just just let it rock. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's uh, and the S is silent in George Yang. That's that's the other part. <laughs> that's the other part. I should have known it. I should have known. Apologies to uh, to George for mispronouncing it for all these years. The early part of your Sixers tenure. Apologies to the Niang family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Hands up. That's on me. 
going to take a quick break real quick, pay some bills, and then we're going to come back and uh, we're going to talk about more about the coaching staff and kind of like where do we go from here if, you know, not even if, but just what do we do with, you know, no Ben Simmons. Back in a second. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back, and I wanted to talk to Jackson about this because obviously Doc Rivers is our head coach, and I'm just wondering, has this been a bugaboo throughout Doc's tenure as a head coach anywhere where he's just not a three-point guy? Yeah, I I, I mean, I have to look at his team's three-point rates, but um, a lot of times last year when people asked him about his team's low three-point rate, uh, as he would say, he, he just, I mean, some, some form of like, he doesn't care how the points come. He just wants them to come, which to me would signify that's the case. Um, you know, he is a former NBA player. There is a, there is generally a trope of a lot of guys who played high level basketball, not being totally analytically inclined, um, which some of which I get. Um, so I, I can't say for sure, but given my impression of doc through a year plus and just kind of his background, I would say probably, um, which is somewhat frustrating because you can talk about, you know, where the points come from, you know, or how they come and that, but just that they come, but those things aren't mutually exclusive by any means. Like the, the way you construct an offense, and the type of shots you encourage or, or produce, you help affect that they come at all. And, and I don't want to be too harsh, but with all due respect, the point didn't come last year when it mattered most. No, and it wasn't because that you weren't, wasn't because you were just you know, bleeding a lot of points off or defensively. Uh, you're you just didn't have the the offense to make it work. And so again, those things aren't mutually exclusive in the kind of the way that the that, that I believe Doc either explicitly expresses them or you know has an implication of you know, internally. So I can't say for sure, but my my educated guess hypothesis would be that that yes, historically Doc has not really been one to emphasize threes. And I mean the three. I mean we're still what le- less than a decade or you know in, into kind of this three point revolution where. People magically realize that, you know, threes are worth more than twos. And if you go one for two from three, it's not the same as going one for two from two. So, but my, my inclination would be to say, yes, Doc has not always been the, you've know, been a huge fan of prioritizing threes, you know, uh, as an offensive coach. And I just feel like that's a little bit weird given the players that he's had throughout his coaching career. Like, you know, start with Paul Pierce and Ray Allen. Like you have Ray Allen on your team. How are you not telling Ray to just chuck him up like whenever he wants to? It's Jesus Shuttlesworth. You let that man cook. Uh, Paul Pierce too. I mean, he was a great shooter. Yeah. Then going to the Clippers and he had, you know, Kawhi who's good. He's really, he's definitely improved from three from the start of his career, which speaks to your whole good coaches teach players to do things that they are uncomfortable with and make them comfortable with it. Uh, We all know about Paul George's struggles, but then he also was part. He's he's an incredible shooter. He's, he's one of the best, but one of the best wing shooters. I think there's been, you know, in a long while. And he was part of the coaching staff that kind of made SGA what he was until he got traded to Oklahoma city. So like, I just don't understand why, and I get it. We're still young into this three-point revolution, but we've seen that, you know, that's kind of got to be a focal point of your offensive game plan. I just don't know why Doc is, I don't want to say hesitant, but he's, I, hell, I'll say it. I don't know why he's hard-headed about, you know, three-point attempts. I don't, I don't get it. I, I think hard-headed is an entirely reasonable thing to describe Doc okay. uh, in, ter- in terms of coaching style. Uh, for many reasons, um, but yeah, I think it, and I think the way and I, I don't want either I don't want our message to get construed or misconstrued because like you, like you don't have to take one to threes. It can be like you can live in the paint. You can live at the you can live at the free throw line, which the Sixers largely do with Joel. Um, you can live at the rim, but the Sixers don't really have the personnel to live at the rim. So the alternative has to be take more threes, um, which I think is the case. And so yeah, I. I, I don't have a great answer. Like, I mean, like, like we've tried, like me, we as media, when we've talked with Doc over the past year, we've tried to kind of 
you know, get some sort of, you know, explanation there. I mean, you know, again, we, I have a quote in my article um, and docs says they emphasize threes and like, maybe you do, but whatever you're doing to emphasize is not translating to the court. So like, we got to do something differently here, right? Like the team has to do something. So like, I, I don't have a great answer there. And I, I think there's obviously a balance, but um, like, sure, it would be great if the Sixers led the league and shots at the rim every year and were top five or seven in drives per game. But you don't have that personnel. You do have the personnel to get up a ton of threes. So you should do that. Like, like Doc, you can like, because part of the thing is he was talking about, can't you be just three? You kind of like shifted some of those questions. Can't be just three. You need layups too. Yeah, you do. But your team can't really get layups because you don't have, you know, a proficient dribble drive creator. Um because just you know you it just hasn't been how the, how this this team has been built um you know for better for worse largely for worse but uh <laughs> if that's if that's the case then get a bunch of threes up you got danny you got seth you got furcon shake can take more threes than he does i think tyrese you know is going to take more threes because i think tyrese is very much a guy who takes his struggles and criticisms in stride and you know adjust from there i think he and i'm not going to say like he and tobias are wired similarly but i think in terms of kind of how they respond to adversity they're very similar in that way and kind of shaping their training habits so and then you got the personnel to take a bunch of threes. It'd be great if you get more layups, but you don't have that personnel. So, um, you know, kind of listen to the numbers because your offense hasn't been that good. And it was very clearly the reason you didn't get farther. You can, you can spin it and say last year's almost a miracle run. Um, with all the respect, that's BS. You're the number one seed. You got an MVP, <laughs> run, MVP runner up. You should not have lost at home game seven to the number five seed Hawks. Um, with all the respect for a very good team last year, especially post Nick Millen hiring or, you know, I guess promotion. But uh, kind of a long-winded way of saying, Doc, like, I don't really want to hear, like, you can say these things, but you, it's got to it's translate. You've got the personnel to do it. And you don't have you don't have, you don't have 12 guys in your rotation that love taking mid-range jumpers. You've got enough guys who are more than willing to let it fly from deep. So you should kind of look to match that and push some of those guys who aren't as comfortable, you know, to, be co- to become more comfortable as a collective coach. That doesn't always fall. And I want to say it doesn't fall entirely on Doc. Player development, you know, Dave Yeager is kind of the head coach, or the, the offensive coordinator. So, been kind of harsh on Doc, but it's you know, obviously he runs the thing. He runs the, kind of the ship there on the bench, but uh, it's collected between player development Doc or among player development Doc and you know, Dave Yeager and kind of all the other offensive inclined coaches. And I don't know what kind of role that Yeager and Cassell play as far as like, you know, scheming the offense. Maybe they do the whole mm-hmm. thing. Maybe it's like a collaborative thing with Doc, but I look at this team and I see, okay, you got Joel Embiid, the biggest comparison he always gets is Elijah Wan. so in my head I automatically think okay let's build this team like you know the early 90s Rockets where it's Elijah Wan and a bunch of league average to above average three-point shooters like where's our where's where's our Sam Cassell where's our Mario <laughs> Ellie where's our Robert Horry for God's sake like you could I mean I I would hope that Tobias is our Robert Horry but like I Am I missing something? Like, shouldn't that be the, shouldn't that be like the building framework? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what's so funny to me is people always talk about, let's put Ben and shooters around, you know, Ben plus shooters, like let's do Joel plus shooters. Like yeah. he's just a much better, much better offensive player. He's going to create in the half court much more effectively. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the, the ideal team to build around Joel is, you know, one high level perimeter creator, you know, like he doesn't have to be someone as good as Dame, but it can be someone kind of like Jimmy Butler. You prefer someone who's a little more, inclined from three and then three high volume shooters, which you, you have in, in Danny and Seth. And, um, and maybe, I don't, I don't know who you'd put, you know, a Tobias ideally would be kind of your third creator, right? Like you'd love to have a better perimeter creator than Tobias. So you can slot into that third role yeah. and be relied on less to get to his spots and just let it fly more. So um, yeah. And I think, you know, that's why they went after hard and hard last year. That's why they, you know, they traded Jimmy Butler, obviously whatever. I don't know exactly what happened there, but <laughs> Um, that's why they've been rumored to be interested in guys like Zach Levine and Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard. Like, I think, you know, Dame is the, is the dream, right? If you're a Sixers fan or a Sixers member of the organization, totally. Um, but, it, but it can be Levine. It can be Beal. It's just someone who is a very good perimeter creator. Um, you know, maybe Levine is a little more ideal because he's a better three point shooter. Um, oh, that, than that name Jackson, that name, you're <laughs> killing me. Like, so Jack Jackson, um, as well as everybody else in Liberty Ballers land knows how anti Zach Levine I am. I'm sorry. I'm just, I just need to point that out. <laughs> he's a better player. Now though. I used to be hesitant of him as well, but he really, he really kind of took a huge step forward last year, but I, but I get some, but point being right. Is that doesn't have to be a Dame level creator, right? It could just be someone who's, in that all-star caliber and then you get the shooters around Joel and and you're probably cooking with some pretty awesome gas given what Joel can do defensively and 
maybe a little lighter load offensively. So you don't see him, um, you know, struggle. You know, you, people always talk like, why does, why doesn't Joel get, you know, playing for the, you know, the fourth quarters of some of those series games? Because he should, like he was not good in some of them, but um, if they weren't relying on their all world center to also be their all world offensive player, um, yeah. there would be a lot, there would be a lot less, a lot fewer issues. And, um, because that, that was not the bar that they were holding Ben Simmons to. Um, it was just, it was just Ben, can you be a viable offensive player? He failed to achieve that. And, you know, in the second half of the Hawks series. There's the back surgeries that we know about with Joel Embiid, but then there's the back surgeries that we're like not aware of because he's literally carrying the team on his back, like for the majority of the season in playoffs. Like Joel is out here doing work, you guys. Just relax. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, is he yeah, immune from criticism? Is he immune yeah. from criticism? No, but like uh if I if there was a percentages, like he would be getting the low end of those percentages. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think it, they would be a team that takes more threes that they had a more effective perimeter career than Tobias, who again, it's not a knock on Tobias. The fact that he is even like this sort of like a, a low end perimeter creator for, you know, a, a very good team, uh, given what kind of the development he's had, it's a huge testament to him, but he needs someone better if you want to fashion an effective offense. Uh, in the playoffs and if you're not going to have anyone better than him given who's at the disposal on the team um you need to take more threes and so that that falls in the coaching staff and the players but i think some of that is the players you know there's excuse me some of that in the coaching staff you know drawing up more plays as we said that encourage threes so uh yeah i you know i try to be as you know respectfully critical of doc's comments earlier this week in my piece but i didn't it didn't really uh it didn't really suffice for me to think you know you can say these things but um, yeah, sure. Layups are great, but your team doesn't get layups either. So, uh, take the threes instead because you have the personality. So, which I think I've said that line probably five or six times now, but, um, <laughs> just really got, I would just was really not a fan of doc response to that because I, I don't think it's really reflective of kind of the reality of you know, the offense that he and his players and coaching staff cultivated last year, which they could have done a much better job of. The in-house name du jour of that guy that's like, oh, we can plug him into the starting lineup and he will solve solve all of our problems. Where have we heard that before? Uh, we heard that with Markel Fultz. That didn't really work out as well as we would have liked or at all. Now it's Maxi, and I'm really hesitant because 20-year-old kid and you're throwing him in the situation where he is going to be asked to be like the all-star perimeter creator of a championship team. <laughs> is there a lot of Markel Fultz possibility where it just doesn't work? Sure. But, and I will say this, and this is what I've been gravitating towards. There's also possibly that Rajon Rondo element where he just steps in and he just makes it click somehow. Like where, which, which side of the fence are you on with Maxi? Or are you just like, okay, I'm in wait and see mode for the first 30 games, and then I'll let you guys know how I feel about this whole Maxi situation. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are a lot of, you know, extenuating circumstances that most of us aren't privy to regarding Fultz. I don't think that's going to be the case with Maxi. I just, I think it's really hard to be too pessimistic about him, given the, given the way he, like, kind of he he was he had a nice start to this to his rookie year and then he was out of the rotation because of his struggles and how he just he, he worked his way back into the rotation to the point of he was playing over Ben Simmons in a must win game six and was like the <laughs> reason the Sixers didn't just fall flat on their face there given how lethargic they I don't know I don't want to say they were ineffective that 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 first that first seven minutes or so of game six. Um lethargic is unfair because I don't know kind of how they were feeling but they were ineffective I'll put it that way. Um but I but I side less with the Rondo thing just because one that Celtics team was just much more, much closer to a championship caliber roster. True. Um, but I think he's going to have, like, I think he's going to have a good year. I know, I know it was a bit of a tough, you know, I think he was up and down yesterday, you know, and it's, it's a tough first game. Like the Raptors have so many long ranging wings. That's a tough kind of here. Like you're going to, here's your first game as starting point guard of this new team. And you're also not playing without Tobias Harris and Jalen Beat or Ben Simmons, by the way. Um, yeah. and go here's, make happens against <laughs> here's your first preseason game no Joel no Ben Simmons no Tobias Harris and on the other side you got Scotty Barnes yeah um, Scotty Barnes Precious Ashua and uh Pascal Siakam have fun kid <laughs> yeah no no Siakam yesterday but I think Del Delano Banson I think is the other a lot of rangy oh, wings you can really God. pressure your handle uh, I think Scotty is uh, picking up like three quarters court and it's like geez I mean Good Max is Lord. as well, but he's not some he's not some Kyrie or Steph Curry as candler on the ball in his hands. So um kind of a long way to say I think there it's gonna be it's gonna be a work in progress. I know a lot of fans are encouraged by him and rightfully so. Like 
Um, but it's going to be up and down. And that's kind of, you know, what a lot of, you know, Doc has talked about in preseason or in training camp. Some of the players have talked about to learning process. And it is like, he, you know, again, like Ben has his struggles, but he's still filling big shoes. Like Ben did a lot of good things for that team. Um, and one of the things he was very good at is pushing the tempo. Like that's his natural inclination to get out on the open floor and create his open threes and, you know, get as many early offense reps as possible. And I think Maxi is kind of similar that he loves, you know, push the tempo. And I feel like whenever he played last year, for the most part, he kind of, you know, injected, you know, a little more tempo and pace into the game. Um, but it takes time to kind of learn how to balance that without speeding yourself up all the time and getting stuck. You like you, you attack from the moment the ball gets inbound and all of a sudden, you're stuck eight feet from the hoop with your dribble. You, you killed your dribble and you don't know where to go. Yep. You know, and, and I think that's, you know, Ben has his own fault with that, but Ben also has the luxury of being 6'10 and he can just say, okay, after my dribble, I'm concealed over the top of the 6'4 defender guarding me <laughs> um, and I'll pass it out. You know, Maxi is 6'1, 6'10. It's a little harder to see all those passing reads. So um, I, I think he's going to have a really nice year. I don't know exactly what that means. Um, I think there should be some temporary expectations and realize it's going to be a learning process because it's a really enormous burden they're putting on him yes. um, for the time being. A starting point guard for a team whose aspirations are, you know, to win a title. And you can talk about how close you think they are to that or how, you know, far-fetched they feel right now. But um, this is a team that's in win-now mode. I think that you just get, say win-now mode. That's, that's the easiest thing. And Tyrese is a guy who um, ideally is in a spot where he gets to play through those growing pains. Um, but, I, but I think he's going to have a really good year. I think it's probably going to be similar last year, maybe a little more, Maybe he has some flashes of brilliance early and then a lull and, and bounces back. But um, just be patient with him. Realize that there's a big difference between being the starting point guard of a team and being the the rookie spark plug that can kind of, you know, do his thing on his own terms. Um, and wasn't playing as much with Joel and Tobias and, you know, isn't as focused on. He was largely, right, last year he was largely, you know, you're going to get downhill, yep. you're going to attack, um, and you're going to do your thing off the bench. Now it's okay, like how does Joel like his entry passes? Where do you position yourself? How does Tobias like his entry passes? You know, what do you do for, you know, how do you make sure that Danny, you don't miss Danny on his relocation threes? Like, how do you help, you know, when they're running a side pick and roll with Seth, you know, the triple handoffs with Seth and Joel, where do you position yourself on the weak side? There's a lot more responsibilities that come when you are trying to kind of set the table, you know, rather than just be this guy with enormous, you know, incredible speed and getting into the paint and just attacks, you know, in lineups, you know, off the bench that are largely kind of devoid of creation. So, um, hugely different roles and they've only had you know they've had four practices plus one game and this one game was without a very incomplete roster so um, <laughs> patience is what I would would say be you know the key thing for you know kind of fans in the organization to understand and, and to know that um, just because he struggled doesn't mean all of a sudden he's regressing it just means he's he's trying to take on a really really difficult role for a 20 year old I will appeal to Tyrese Massey I will speak this into the void hopefully he hears it uh, we're not asking you to be like James Harden or Kyrie Irving or anything like that. Me personally, I'll settle if you're just like young Leandro Barbosa. I'll settle for that. That's fine. That is perfectly okay in my book. If that's what we get from you as a starting point guard, I am a thousand percent happy. If you want to kind of take a step up and be like Houston Rockets Kyle Lowry, that's fine too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I'm trying to figure out exactly like what I think would be a good outcome for him in year two, like like anywhere from like the fifth to like eighth best player, I honestly think would be a good outcome. I know like eight seems kind of low, but like maybe maybe the Sixers get someone back for Ben midseason who's a very good starter, which, you know, again, for all Ben's faults, he should at least you know, return a very good starter. Doesn't have to be an all-star necessarily, but and then you look at and like, I think, you know, I think Karis George Le- is probably a better. Karis Levert is the Karis Levert is the newest hot name, which I'm actually yeah kind of on board with, much to everybody else's chagrin. Yeah, I'm a little less enthused by him, but I understand. <laughs> but like, but point, but point being here, I'm like, you know, George is a good player, a good, you good role player. You know, Drummond for everything that maybe you don't like about him, he's a still a quality player, as we discussed at the top of the podcast. Um, you know, I don't know like exactly where Matisse falls. Matisse is so tough because he's about as far on the extremes you can get between offense and defense yeah. <laughs> impact. Um, but he's still a quality player. So anywhere I think from fifth to eighth would be fine. And I think if somehow he sneaks to like fourth, like you would be really, really, really encouraged. That'd be an awesome second year for him. But um, like just being a quality rotation player or even a low end starter, I think, you know, which will probably not look as, as good as it sounds, honestly, 
Um, but it's still a very good outcome. You have to take things kind of with a grain of not even grain like a, you know, take a step back and kind of look at things as, as they are. I mean, you know, the, if he is the eighth best player on the team, roughly, which I think is kind of the low end outcome for a very good season for him, that makes him the 240th best player at worst, which again, I'm not going to get into the entire like nuance of that, but like, yeah. that's still like, if you, I mean, it's hard, like it's, it still puts you roughly in the top half of the league in a given year, given kind of, you know, including like, you know, two-way contracts and whatnot. Um, and, you know, the guys who signed 10 days, which is, which is good, a good place to be as a guy who's going to turn 21 next, next month in his second year. Like if you're in a, if you're an average NBA player in the second year, like you're doing something right. So take it. Um, yeah. And that, again, I think that's, I could see, I could see that kind of the low end outcome. I could see him as a top 200 guy. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to rank 200 guys. That's another option activity. Maybe I'll, I'll pair it with my, my backup center rankings. But, yes. Um, but again, like <laughs> you have to look at things through that lens that he could be the seventh best player on the team. And it might look ugly at times. And you might think, oh, maybe he's not doing as well. But then you look at it and you think about it and like, yeah, okay, okay. Like things are going well. He's, he's year two. He's, it's a new role for him. You know, bigger challenges, bigger tasks. We'll take it. So, um, you know, sometimes it can look a little rough, but he's going to be have a pretty, and especially for a guy who's going to have a, a decent sized, you know, creation burden this year. Um, sometimes those guys can get discounted and he's going to have the, you know, a big role so and a big kind of big responsibility. He's not, you know, the top two or three creator on the team. He's still going to be asked a lot to, to make things happen off the dribble. And that's what the team likes about him a lot. So um, kind of a, a long winter ramble of saying it might not always look great, but I think Max is going to have a good year and you have to kind of assess things you know, as, as much as it feels like there's going to be pressure on him to be better than he might be because of where the Sixers are as a team trying to maximize Joel's prime. It, it, it will be probably better than you anticipate given in terms of kind of what it indicates for his long-term trajectory, which I think Sixers fans would like to be a part of that long-term trajectory. Right? They'd like him to be around. So um, there's kind of a balance there of who he is now versus who he, who his season, who he is now, what it means in the, in the interim versus what it could mean, you know, in the future. It's, it's going to be a fun season. It's always <laughs> a fun season in this town when we talk about the Sixers, but we at Liberty Ballers will be covering every aspect and getting into all the nooks and crannies uh, Jackson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, read Jackson's piece on Liberty Ballers. As he said, it's uh, called We Just Need to Shoot More of Them. Joel Embiid wants the Sixers to take more threes. Will it happen? Question mark. Uh, I say yes, but we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> you can follow Jackson on Twitter. It's at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Uh, Jackson, always love talking to you, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the kind words. Appreciate the opportunity. And I'm excited for the season. I think it'll be, you know, this is my fifth year of covering the Sixers. It'll be my first year with, without Ben Simmons in the fold. So it'll be it'll be a new experience, which I'm looking forward to. So uh, appreciate you having me on and appreciate it for everyone listening and uh, talking Sixers. It'll be fun. We'll, we'll all cover it on the site as well as this podcast and other podcasts on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, a Vox Media family podcast. <laughs> Talk to you soon, Jackson. <laughs>